Hello, you guys. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me. This is Kayla. I'm Kayla. <laughs> I really hope you guys have had a fantastic day so far, and it's going to get better because you're listening to Black True Crime. Hello. Hello. Actually, you know what? I want to start out. Shout out to Paradox Productions. Um, they are the, well, they, he, because I messaged him, he's actually the guy that I got my intro music from. So shout out to you. Um, we are back and we are on to a new case. Thank God. But before we do that, we have a little bit of important things to discuss. Actually, really just one thing I want to go over. Um, shout outs. I've decided to extend the shout outs. <laughs> I am. I'm extending the shout outs to 120 people. So the first 120 will get a shout out on the show. Um, I've just been having fun doing this and I it kind of seems like you guys are liking it so I'm gonna do that try to personalize them a little bit more um it's just gonna take a while because there's 10 of you that I have to do each episode and that's kind of time consuming so trying to get you guys in here and out of here all right let's get to the nitty-gritty all righty so if you guys are following the Instagram page which you probably should be, just so you can catch up and stay caught up with everything that's going on and, you know, be the first to know type of thing. But if you have been on there, you would have seen that I put up a little guess who for episode three. I wanted to see if you guys could kind of figure out who we're talking about today. If you did, amazing. If you didn't, that's okay, because I didn't want to make it too easy. So, and hopefully you guys didn't cheat, because if you fucking cheated, obviously you'll figure out who it is. But have no fear. The wait is over. Today's case is on Benjamin Atkins. Now, Benjamin Atkins was a Detroit serial killer um, that killed for a nine-month time frame between 1991 and 1992. But unfortunately, he racked up a significant amount of victims in that nine-month period. Um, all of his victims were found in vacant buildings, and they had all been raped and strangled. Most of them had been murdered in Highland Park, which is the part of the city of Detroit. Detroit's always already like really fucking dangerous, even back then. Um, today, it's still is super dangerous, but it was already dangerous, and Highland Park was kind of like the mecca of danger. <laughs> it was a part of the city that was notorious for drugs, gang violence, and prostitution. So kind of obviously many of his victims were prostitutes and drug users. Um, join us! <laughs> join me! As we take a deeper dive into the life, the crimes, and spoiler alert, the death of Benjamin Atkins. Benjamin Tony Atkins, also known as the piece of shit, also known as fucking Cracker Jack, also known as 
the Woodward Corridor Killer, was born on August 26, 1968 in Detroit, Michigan. Um, like I said earlier, which it was like super, super dangerous and it was the most populous city in the U.S. at that time. Um, he honestly had a horrible childhood. Like I wouldn't wish this on fucking anyone. Um, his mother first abandoned him as in the first time she did it was when he was only two years old. And I mean, bam, he was put into the system. He would live with his mother on and off throughout um, his like childhood and growing up, but mostly he grew up in a boy's home um, when he wasn't with her. And when he was with her, he was watching her do drugs and turn tricks. If you don't know what turn tricks means, it's what prostitutes do, as in giving BJs and selling punan to make ends meet. That's what his mother would do. Um, and he, unfortunately, would be in the back seat, like, having to watch. Um, and that's, like, at such a young age. Such, such, such a young age. I think this is actually, this started way before he was even 10. And at the age of 10, young Benjamin was raped by a caseworker. Sidebar, okay. I've heard, you know, a lot of rapes happen when people are younger. But by a caseworker, this is literally the first time I've ever heard of this. And I'm like a crew crime, <laughs> crew crime. I'm like a true crime fucking person, fucking junkie. So a caseworker like that, that makes my skin crawl. Uh, my parents, they used to have foster children and we used to have caseworkers over all the time. So I can't even fucking imagine like something like that happening to one of the kids. Oh, fucking bendito. So as he grew up, he was just kind of just really, really, um, kind of like a loner, not very friendly in the sense. Um, not much was actually even said about like his middle teenage to like late teens lifestyle. Nothing was really said. All I know is that he was mostly in a boy's home. Um, as he got older, he became an adult. He was kind of a shit stick. Um, he, he was very like kind of bored. Hold on, sip break. I'm not gonna say he was boring because I don't know his fucking I don't know his personality, how he if he was boring or not, but he just didn't do much. He occasionally worked at a pizza place and as a laborer, whatever that means. I saw that somewhere. Which I'm thinking it's like what, maybe like construction or like cutting grass i don't know i digress either way he wasn't really doing shit because he was super crazy addicted to crack yeah crack was still a thing in the 90s still a thing today but hey um he was a crack cocaine addict and he was living on the street so he was homeless as well during majority of his life um that is like one thing he did have in common. Well, not the homeless part or the, even the crack cocaine part, but the prostitute part. Him and Lonnie had a thing for prostitutes and drug addicts. So as we get into the victims, um, you'll get to see a little bit more about what was going on as far as his just brutally violent behavior and his kind of, I don't know, just his brazenness, his ballsiness. So 
Um, Darlene Saunders was his first victim. She was 34 years old and he attacked her and he beat her. He raped her and he sodomized her. This was in October 1991 in, you guessed it, Highland Park. Um, but since this was his first, his first attack or that we know of, he wasn't, I guess, as good as he got later on and she was able to escape. So she survived. Good for you, Miss Darlene, because fuck, this man was definitely about to take your life, point blank, period, and not think twice. Um, so she got away. Great. Awesome. Happy for you, boom. Um, Debbie Ann Friday, that was his second victim. She was 30 years old. She was found raped, strangled, and sodomized as well on December 14th, 1991 in Highland Park. Now, like I said earlier, a lot of these um, victims are found in different places like they were found in, um, there was a motel, uh, motel rooms they would be in. I mean, literally buried under vacant buildings in their lots. I mean, just discarded like absolute basura, which means fucking trash. So um, his third victim, super ballsy, not even two weeks later, was Bertha Jean Mason. She was 26 years old. She was found also strangled, raped, and sodomized. And this was on December 30th, 1991. Um, victim number four, Miss Patricia Cannon George. She was 36 years old and she was found strangled, raped, and sodomized on January 3rd, 1992 um, in Detroit as well. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that circumstance and how she died later. Victim number five, Miss Vicky True Love. That's like such a beautiful name. True Love. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Sorry, Miss Vic. She was 39 years old and she was found just like the others, sodomized, strangled, raped, all, all of the above on January 25th, 1992 in Detroit. So you can clearly see that this man, he's just getting, I mean, his, his balls are the size of coconuts. They're just, they're just fucking huge. He's doing whatever he wants to do. He's, um, pfft, not really thinking too, tw thinking twice about it. He's not taking many breaks in between. He's just going for it. He's just going for it. Um, number six, if I can keep count, which I highly doubt, Valerie Chalk. A check chalk spelled chalk. She was 34 and she was repeated repeatedly sodomized, as in just over and over. Um, she was raped as well and strangled on February 17th, 1992. This was in Highland Park as well, and it was actually at the Monterey Motel in room 68. That's where her body was found. Room 68. Miss Juanita Hardy, she was 23 years old, still young and Biffy, she was found raped and strangled at the Monterey Motel as well on the same day, February 17th, 1992, 1992, in room 35. So they were found near each other, but they were not murdered in the same time frame. I think Juanita Hardy was actually, no, I'm sorry, Valley Chalk was actually murdered a couple months before Miss Juanita, and Juanita was killed within three to five days of her body being found. So 
So next victim, number seven, she's actually a Jane Doe to this day. Um, her body was found at the Monterey Motel room. Monterey Motel, comma, room 18. Um, and this was February 17th, 1992 as well, you guys. So they found three fucking bodies in the same fucking hotel or motel rooms away from each other on the same day. I, you can't even get any creepier or like just... If I was there, I would have had just a gut-wrenching feeling like, yeah, we definitely have a fucking monster on our hands. And a bold one at that. Like, three bodies, dead-ass bodies in the same facility. Like, it's just, like I said, the cojones on this kid. Victim number eight, Miss Brenda Mitchell. She was 28 years old. She was unfortunately found raped and strangled on April 9th, 1992 in Highland Park as well. Um, number nine, Miss Vicki Beasley Brown. She was 27 years old, found raped and strangled um, six days, I'm sorry, yeah, six days later, April 15th in Highland Park. Number 10, Am I on number two? I'm not counting this right, you guys. Let's go back. Okay, no, I am. Oh my God, I am. Okay. Number 10, Miss Joanne O'Rourke. She was 45. It is actually his oldest victim. She was found repeatedly raped and strangled um, a month later on June 15th in Highland Park as well. Number 11, Miss Osanina. That's what I was trying to work out in my head. Osanina Waymer, she was 21. She was found beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled. So he was just, he was just honestly probably just completely pissed at this point. I don't know. He's just kind of maybe getting more aggressive, more um, destructive. Maybe he was high at that moment because later on we do find out that he claims he was high on crack cocaine for multiple murders that he committed. Um, and then his last final victim, Miss Latanya Shawanda Smith. And she was 29. And she was just found, com I mean, just beaten, beaten brutally, so bad, on August 21st, 1992. So the same day Miss Osanina was found. I mean, he was just, if he, these are the type of killings that give you the feeling that, okay, if he wasn't caught, he would have completely kept killing. Like, there was nothing that could have stopped him because he couldn't even stop himself. And like I said, three bodies in the same motel, like, there's just no tact there. There's no common sense as to, like, oh, I don't want to get caught. I feel like he was just, I mean, I, I feel like he was just completely lost and just toe up from the fucking flow up. So... Before he was arrested, um, as the body count was rising, because let's be real, Detroit, kind of fucking dangerous. <laughs> Highland Park, extremely dangerous. And there's high-risk victims in a high-risk area. You don't really expect the police to care much at this point in time, because that's the point of time that we were in. Um, however, like I said, as the body 
counts started just climbing, a task force of investigators was created. And it was made up of investigators from Highland Park, the Detroit Homicide Unit, the Michigan State Police, and the FBI. So this was a big fucking like thing. This was a serious thing everyone was taking um, to heart. So this big old task force, coalition, whatever you want to call it, um, kind of, I mean, they basically were fighting against each other. They were f- bitter, honestly. They had kind of screwy relationships with each other. The Detroit City Administration had issues with the FBI, so no one was really communicating the way they needed to. So, in a sense, they were kind of stepping on their own toes and fucking up the investigation for themselves. Um, but despite all the false starts and the, the stumbles and the issues, the bullshit that they dealt with with each other, they were able to act like grown men and hopefully women were there too, power to women. Um, they were able to pull themselves together and essentially find someone that could really help them. So they ran around the area where most of the bodies were found. It was just started talking to prostitutes and drug users, just people from the street to kind of figure out what they've been seeing. Has anyone noticed anything? Has anyone been, you know, attacked themselves? They just want to figure out Honestly, they just want to get as much tea as they can. Um, hold on, sip break. Okay. So, while they're out there patrolling, looking, trying to find someone that can help them identify this guy, they happen upon Miss Darlene Saunders. Remember her? She was his only surviving victim. And they happen to find her. And with a little, you know, persuasion, she does decide to speak with them and tell her story. So it turns out that she's a prostitute as well. And she had been beaten and raped by Atkins, but she managed to escape before he he could kill her. Um, Initially, she didn't report the incident. But like I said, when the detective started just questioning her and everyone else, basically, she decided to spill the beans. So she described him. She described Atkins. She said she only knew him as Tony. That's what, you know, the name he gave her, which Tony is his middle name. So not too far off. Um, The detectives checked their database for, you know, anybody, Tony, whatever. They just checked their little database and soon learned of Benjamin Atkins, who had a prior criminal record. Nothing too, like, extensive or crazy, um, but he did live in the area, and he matched the description. Now, you guys, the police, they already had a run-in with Atkins before. Like I said, he had a, you know, a prior criminal record, but this is something different. A couple months prior to his arrest, the task force briefly questioned him because he was found sleeping, okay? He was sleeping in an abandoned building, in the general area of where a lot of the bodies are being found. So they're like, okay, this guy is here. These bodies are there. The distance isn't too far apart. We just need to talk to him. And he's sleeping here, you know, which is kind of against the fucking law. Let's wake his ass up and see what he has to say. And (laughs) that's what they did. So um, they questioned him. 
about you know a couple things. I, I guess asked him if they he <laughs> asked him if he noticed anything crazy around because I doubt they just went up to him like, "Hey, have you been killing women?" Hmm, no, okay, just thought I'd ask. But then again, you never fucking know. Um, they asked him a couple questions, and I guess they didn't feel anything in their spirits to let them know, like, hey, this guy's fucking wanked, and we should probably keep an eye on him, or at least, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Just whatever. Because <laughs> you can't really, in that situation, you can't really do anything. You can't really search him. I mean, I guess you could, because he's breaking the law by trespassing, but I don't know. You just see a homeless guy sleeping. You think he's harmless. You just ask him some questions because he lives in the area. So they gave him a trespassing ticket. And then they went about their business. So after this conversation with Miss Saunders, um, and they were able to get her to identify a picture, I believe, of Mr. Atkins, the police decided, or the task force, whatever you want to say, decided to arrest him. But they didn't arrest him on murder charges. They arrested him on a trespassing charge, which I think is pretty fucking clever. But it's also kind of scary because it's kind of like the police can really find anything, dig up anything to arrest your ass over. Like, it's, you know. But hey, they gave him a ticket, and I guess if you don't pay your tickets, they can arrest your ass, so pay your fucking tickets, people. Um, so they arrested him, and they decided to, obviously, interrogate him. So when the Texas first started interrogating him, Benjamin was very, I mean, I want to say coy. Like, he was just not very cooperative. He said he denied knowing any of these women, denied killing them, even went as far as to say, like, I'm homosexual, you know, I am, I'm gay, I'm not even interested in women, so why the fuck would I be out here raping and killing them, which is complete bullshit, because crime, or true crime rule, I don't know, number 57, maybe, rape is not about sex, it's about control, so, yeah, not gonna pull a fast one over here, Benjamin. Anyway, so as he's being interrogated by some coppers, sip break. Another uh, detective, and he was actually in the, from the Detroit Homicide Unit. His name was Sergeant Sergeant Ronald Sanders. No relation to Darlene Sanders. Saunders. He's he was scheduled to literally leave for vacation. An hour later, like, hey, sayonara, you guys. I'm going on fucking vacation. Bye. For that hour, honestly, if I was me, well, if it was me, I would have been sitting my black ass in a chair counting down the seconds until I left. But thank God Sergeant Ronald was not a slacker like me. Um, He who was like, hey, guys, let me just get a crack at him. Let me go in there. Let me see what the fuck is good. So Sanders goes in there and he starts talking to him in like a father figure type of way. He even says, quote, you never had a father. I have a son exactly your age. You need to get this off your chest. Talk to me. So mind you, at this point, when the murders happen and stuff, Ben is only, or Benjamin, I don't know what the fuck he goes by. 
Benjamin is only 22 to 23 years old. Like he is still like, he was, he's younger than me at that point, killing all these women, doing all this crazy stuff, being homeless, being addicted to crack, um, you know, barely keeping a job, just really struggling so early in life. And it's because he didn't have any like real love in his life from his parents. His dad, literally, as you can see, I never mentioned him once. And that's basically how Benjamin was raised and never mentioned that just wasn't a part of his life. So I can understand, you know, I can understand why, I don't know, Ronald just felt that, you know, felt that he needed a connection or someone just a man to feel like he cared about him. And apparently it worked. Because after Sanders said, you need to, quote, you need to get this off your chest. Talk to me. Atkins did exactly that while scarfing down five cheeseburgers. That wasn't a joke. He was actually being a fat ass eating five cheeseburgers. Um, (laughs) Atkins confessed to the murders. And he also confessed to a victim that he had hidden in a secret basement beneath a vacant garage. Whew. So despite them having evidence or despite them, I guess, building evidence um, against him in these cases, Atkins went as far as to say, yeah, I, always are, um, I also have somebody else hidden. I also have someone else that, you know, you guys didn't necessarily find. So there's a thing. Which I can commend, like, I, that's the only thing that I commend. I commend him being completely honest, but it also makes me think that he was a complete sociopath because, you know, sociopaths don't try to really hide who the fuck they are. Um, they have no need to. And I feel like that's kind of how I'm getting that vibe from you, Atkins. I'm getting that fucking vibe. So, zip break. <sighs> So Atkins told the police that, quote, I killed all 11 of them, so I didn't have to worry about them pressing charges. Okay, not the first time I've heard that, so not too off the wall. Um, He talked about his first victim, his first murder victim. Let me see. Uh, Actually, no, that wasn't even his first murder victim. He decided to talk about Patricia George who was actually his third murder victim. And he said that they met, I want to say, not too long before. Um, They smoked crack together in an abandoned building. And all of a sudden, he just became enraged and started choking her and then started raping her when she tried to leave. So when she was like, hey, like I want to go get some food because I'm super high off crack and I have an appetite. I don't know if, if that's how that works. But... I'm going to go somewhere else. And he's like, no. And just like fucking loses his shit and starts strangling her and rape. Oh God, it just breaks my heart. So yeah. Yeah. He was super honest about that. In regards to Miss Juanita Harvey, um, who was, let me see what number victim that was. If I can count, because I'm not going to make any fucking promises. Um, Victim six, yes, nice job, Kayla. Victim six, in regards to her, he said, quote, I never really planned to kill her. Um, After raping her, having sex, and hating her for being a woman, I had the desire to kill her for being a woman. I just wanted to hate her and cause her harm. 
So that seems about right. You're out here killing women, uh, specifically prostitutes and things of that nature. Like, it's clear he has severe fucking mommy issues. Um, that's very clear. Uh, the confessions also included one in which Atkins claimed responsibility for the killing of a woman earlier believed to have died from a drug overdose. So basically, he's just taking all the credit for everything. He's just being a super honest guy. Um, I mean, yeah, this is so surprising to me. I mean, his his daddy issues must have been phenomenal for him to just spill the tea to a random man that he's never met that all, you know, that only said, hey, you should, you should vent to me because I have a son your age. It's like, okay, but I'm not your son. So I don't know. I mean, when you're toe up from the fucking flow up, you never know what you'll allow to happen or you'll do. So, um, according to the police, their theory, since Atkins was admittedly waving the rainbow flag, you know, homosexual, the attacks were clearly motivated by some deeper, like sick shit going on. Um, the rapes were his way of degrading and abusing his victims in the worst possible way before killing them, um, as well as establishing control and dominance over them. The murders were a final act of control and violence, as well as means of eliminating witnesses. So, I mean, he was kind of spot on with what he said. You know, the theory is kind of spot on. He murdered them to make them feel like they were his bitch. Is you piece of shit and then he murdered them so they wouldn't open their mouths because he's a dickhead for more reasons than that but yes so trial time so the police first charged him with one murder and then as they accumulated more information did more you know digging and things they added two more and then as the evidence just kept flowing in coming in the ballistic i mean not ballistics sorry the forensics reports were just flying into the office they were able to charge him with a total of 11 murders okay sit break his trial um atkins attorney jeffrey edison he was working he was doing his best you guys i'm not gonna you can't really come for him especially when you're coming against like confessions because atkins definitely admitted to majority of the shit that he actually did so when you're trying to come against that it's hard so what old boy edison was really trying to do was just push home to the jury that, hey, this man was abused. They give him as a child. Don't look at him as an adult in that chair over there, the adult that killed 11 women, um, raped and brutalized 12, and did all this shady shit and is a crack cocaine addict and will probably kill until he can't kill anymore. Don't look at that guy. Look at the little the little boy look at the little 10 year old that was raped by a caseworker look at the two-year-old who was abandoned by his child his mother look at the six-year-old who's in the car while his mother is giving bjs and selling punan you know he was really pushing that part of 
um, Atkins' life to the jury, just trying to say, hey, he's a, literally a product of his environment. Which I can understand, but it, it's still, we can't condone, what are we supposed to do? You know, he's 23 at this point. Nobody's holding a gun to his head saying, hey, kill these women. You know, you have to make a choice at some point. You can't allow the things that have happened to you to define who you are. And you damn sure can't let you, like, become a murderer and rapist and fucking predator. So, yeah, but that's just my opinion, you feel me? So, despite Jeffrey's attempts and really trying to just run this in home, you know, drill it into the jury's head, and despite the jury actually saying that they felt bad for the guy, you know, expressing sympathy for him, he was still, unfortunately for him, and absolutely fortunate for everybody the fuck else, was found guilty on all counts, all 11 counts of first-degree murder um, on May 11th, 1994. So this happened, and then he was sentenced to 11 life sentences. I don't know why they didn't give him fucking the death penalty. I don't know if it was active at that time. I didn't check that, but um, they gave him 11 life sentences, basically saying, hey, you piece of shit, you're never getting the fuck out, despite whatever you may think that you, yeah, yeah, never happening. As in, like, we're going to put you in a cell, and then when you die, we're going to bury you um, in that cell under the pavement. Then we're going to repave, concrete it up, and have someone else living over you in the cell. And you're never leaving here, even your fucking shitty body, so fuck you. Yeah. 11 last sentences, homeboy. Um, And apparently when all this was being discovered what all this was coming out and they were you know telling him in the court he literally did not give a fuck at all like they said you look at his face and it's just like i mean you you basically told him hey your shoes untied and he would have had the same reaction so yeah fucked up guy fucked up guy um but yeah so he's supposed to die in prison and he does die in prison just a whole lot sooner than his 11 life sentences so remember guys he got arrested what when he was 22 23 1992 he was sentenced to jail 1994 so he's about 24 25 and then three years later so he only spent three years in prison in 1997 um on september 17th Atkins died at the Dwayne Waters Hospital, which is like connected to the to the prison he was kept in. The prison was called Edgeler Correctional Facilities, and and it was in Jackson, Michigan. Um, he died there, and he died. His cause of death was list was listed as an HIV infection or complications due to HIV. So, yeah. For anybody that thought he was just blowing smoke up people's asses, that was kind of like a, that was kind of like a, like a not rude gay joke. (laughs) I I have nothing against gay people. If you know me, you know that. But I'm just saying like, you know, in the asses. But yeah, sorry. (laughs) For anybody that thought he was just blowing smoke up your ass, like lying about being homosexual, he definitely wasn't. And you have to think about it. I know that obviously it's possible for women to get it, but at that point in time in the 90s and, you know, like late 80s area era type of thing, 
um, HIV and AIDS were definitely associated more with the gay community and homosexual men and things of that nature. So, um, yeah. So after his death, obviously there was no need for his appeal. So his appeals were dismissed. And that was the end of it. The end of it all. The end of Benjamin abusee turned abuser Atkins. I have mixed feelings about this, you guys. I'm super happy that a fucking predator, a sickening, disgusting, violent, piece of shit person was put behind bars and eventually succumbed to his own... I'm going to say his own injuries. No, like just succumb to something that was out of his control. You know, I, I do I do like that he had no control over his mortality in that moment. Then again, we none of us do. But just saying, it's nice that I feel I find solace in the fact that I feel like he felt fear. You know, maybe he was a sociopath. Yeah, but it's all we I felt like we all have a moment where. Like, our mortality just just makes everything fu- really fucking real, you know? So, I take solace in the fact that I feel like he had that moment. Um, but I'm also really, really sad about how he's brought up. I feel like if he didn't experience so many horrible things and see so much and just, you know, receive so little, um, you know, amounts of love. I mean, as a kid, you're supposed to experience love and 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 just inclusion and he didn't get that and that definitely had a part to play in his fucking psychopathy um and his murderous actions so yeah shout out to the victims and their families um super like strengthy lovey, dopey, huggy vibes being sent to you guys right now. Um, Super happy that you guys got justice. And for any of the women, even the Jane Doe, we still don't know who the Jane Doe is. I really hope that you get justice, boo-boo. We find out who you are and you can be sent home to your family. Okay, you guys. That was our episode for this week. Well, I released two this week. So that's the second episode for this week. <laughs> um, all right. Close of house stuff. IG shout outs. My hand down second to favorite part. Let's get started. Number one, at murder a day. Hey, murder a day. Thanks for giving me a follow. Just kidding. Horrible. Moving on. Number two. What's underscore your underscore name underscore again dot podcast. (laughs) The podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for the follow. (laughs) Number three. At wine and coffee cups. Hmm. That could work. I should give that a try. Hi, guys. Thanks for the follow. Welcome. Number four, at Miss, well, nope, I was going to call her Miss Zeta Smith, but that's not right. At Zeta.S. Hey, Miss Zeta. How you doing? Family woman, family gal. Welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks for the follow. Number five, at Turnbuckle Pod. That's a podcast, too. Check them out when you get a chance. Welcome, you guys. Welcome. Um, Number, what, six? Yeah. At TCT4K. They are a part of the YouTube crime community, so go check his stuff out. Number, fuck, I can't count. Number seven. Two, four, six. Yeah, number seven, wholesome podcast. I'm sorry, a wholesome underscore podcast. Hi guys, welcome. So happy that you're fucking here. Number eight, the unexplainable at the unexplainable podcast. Welcome. Hey, the unexplainable. I'm gonna have to check that out. Hmm. Number nine. At True Crime Enthusiast, babe, you're on the right page. So, welcome. Thanks for the follow. And last but not least, the Trilogy Podcast. All these podcast paces. All these podcast pa- I fucked up. Again. So irritated with my dyslexia of the fucking mouth. Sip break. I'm so happy all these podcasts are following because I've kind of run out of episodes to watch of podcasts and I need some new ones. So welcome, you guys. So happy to have you. That's all for me today, you guys. I don't have anything else to say. Um, I hope you have a great day or night. And I also hope you had a fucking rad-ass time here at Black True Crime today. And I will see you guys later. You have a right to kill me. You have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.